Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. We are on the uh, last few verses of the fifth chapter of Shemot Exodus, and we're going to be getting close to finishing um, the Parsha today. And maybe we'll even do a Seum at our next in-person class, which is two weeks from today. Uh, let's review verse 22 before we jump forward. Vayashov Moshe and I, Moshe returned to God after this encounter with groups of people that we never fully defined. Is it just Moses and the supervisors? Is there another, a third cohort led by uh, um, Datan and Aviram there? We'll put that behind us. Vayomar, and he said, quote, so if it's a Vayomar as opposed to Vayomer, it's introducing a quotation. Adonai, my Lord. Lama hareota laam hazeh. Notice, by the way, that it's pointed not lama, the way it's pronounced in Hebrew, but lama. For what? For what reason? Right? Lama means lama. To what? For what? For what reason? So the stress on lama. Hareota laam hazeh. Have you done harsh things to this people? Lama zeh shalachtani. Why zeh? Why this? Why did you send me for this? And Rashi gives us an answer from which we have to divine his question. His answer was, uh, tomar, and if you should say God, as if Moses is saying this as a part of his speech, Ma what do you care, Moses, about why I'm treating the people this way? Then Moshe would respond, Kobal or Koval ani al I am critiquing you that you sent me. You got me involved because you sent me, and therefore I am invested. This answer means that the question that Rashi had in the verse is, what's the connection between the two things that Moses is saying to God? Because we kind of rush through them quickly, but if you slow it down, what's the connection between Moses saying, why have you done evil to this people? And why have you sent me? Because those are kind of different ideas. Rashi connects them with this kind of imagined conversation between Moshe and God. If you complain, God, or if you wonder, God, why I'm asking you, I'm asking you because you put me in this role and therefore all of a sudden I care. It's like when my wife and I were, we're registering for China and silverware, right? Like I didn't care, but if you ask me to care, I'm going to care, and then I'm going to care a lot. Um, but I, but I'm happy to not care. But if you if you want me to care, I'm going to care, and I'm going to have an opinion. So that's what we got to, and we're about to read uh, the next verse. But let's first hear from Larry or Diane, whoever put their hand up. Yeah, I did. I'm sorry. Um, so the the next verse is the last verse, right? Then, uh, well, we have two verses. We have 5.23 and then 6.1 of the Parsha. Right. Sorry. <clears throat> so maybe I'm just, my memory isn't that good. Um, I don't remember we are discussing fully uh, 5.22. <clears throat> and you, you, you just made a case for why they're two separate things. But did we already make the case for why they are clearly one thing? Why they can be seen as clearly one thing? Uh, make that case. It's 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 reading against Rashi, which is fine. Rashi feels the need to explain why these two, to him, seemingly disparate questions from Moshe to God are there. He conjures a reason, but let's hear you synthesize them. Well, not to go back too far, but just the, the, the my line of argument, which is different than Joanna's, was is. <clears throat> That Moses leaves the overseers, the taskmasters, or the overseers come in. They <clears throat> they basically take a different point of view than than Moses. And then when they come out, they confront Moses and they said, "Look, basically, 
look what you've done to us. You've caused this problem. Moses, in this read, my reading, Moses is shaken by this. He has no confidence. And he goes back to God and he says, basically, you've brought harm to the people by bringing me. I'm the one that's caused the problem. I'm taking the point of view of the overseers. Uh -huh. So he's asking God, and it's, it's, one, it's two sides of the same question. You sent me. I've done nothing but cause trouble. Why did you do that? Hmm. Nice. Nice read, right? That's a, that's a great Ramban to the Rashi, right? So, you know, that's like, you know, Ramban saying, this is what Rashi says. Fine. I disagree with him. I read it this way, right? There's no, you, there's no reason to create a separation between the two phrases such that to be synthesized. They are already synthesized. And then the focus is not on Moshe's peak about what God has done, but Moshe's peak about what God has made Moshe do, right? Right. Moshe is experiencing it the way you're describing it as you've made me the bad guy. I keep making things worse. So when I say to you, why are you doing evil to this nation? I'm really saying, why have you made me do evil to this nation? Right. Um, uh, what, what I'm thinking of, of, um, Oh, uh, this sounds like it's like a funny association, but it's the one that came to mind. I, I, I heard a line from a movie in my head as we we're talking about this, and I was trying to find the, the line. Um, Frisco Kid, uh, which was one of the great movies ever, of course. Uh, Gene Wilder and a young, young um, Harrison Ford. And there's one scene after Harrison Ford robs a bank and they're arguing and they're fighting. And and Harrison Ford, the cowboy says, I'm a bank robber. That's what I do. I'm a bank robber. And and the and Gene Wilder playing the Rav Avram, what's his name? Galinsky says, yes, but you've made me a bank robber, right? You've turned me into your accomplice because I was with you, right? So it's like a poignant scene in a in a silly, wonderful movie. And you're reading it, Larry, as Moshe saying, God, you do whatever you want with these people, but you've turned me into the instrument through which this is happening. So therefore, they're one idea. That's a lovely synthesis. I like that a lot. Rick? Um, hi. Um not sure exactly what to do with it, but um, the use of the word zeh, um, I think, is important. Um, when Moses is first introduced, he's just called a zeh in the basket there. He's just a baby, and, and now he's, he's grown up to do this. So you have zeh a couple times here. The poetry of lama and la'am, and then lama again, the... the the uh, the the use of those letters and um like you pointed out one time it's lama for for what and one time it's lama is as why so um it's um it's artistry of of the hebrew um and um there's something there's something going on there that um moses is calling it this people and and why are you doing this instead of my people or our people? Or I don't know if he's, if he's, I mean, he's fighting for them, but I don't know if he really feels a part of them or not. I, I don't know. But yeah. there's some, something there. Thank you, Rick. Uh, what you pointed out makes me realize something for the first time is that not only are the two llamas stressed on different syllables, which might just be a trope thing for a word that doesn't need to be stressed one way or the other. The first one is lama, the second is lama, but the word is actually pointed different because there's a me, there's a dagesh in the mem of the second one, and that's beyond my pay scale. Why I'm pretty good at dagesh's. I'm not sure why there's a dagesh in the mem of the second lama, and I don't know what's the chicken and what's the egg here in terms of why it's whether it's the 
because the length of, of the vowel. Um, yeah. If, if it's a half vowel, a half long vowel, or a short vowel, or whatever, you need the dugh to close it. I don't know. Yeah, it's sort of like saying that the by uh, the dugh the mem that second one is lam ma, right? That that it's like doubling the mem. But yeah. I can tell you that I understand exactly why. I also think that you know that zes are either either mean everything or nothing in the Torah. That you probably are aware there's a there's a zeh with a long trup when we're um, meaning Noach, then a parshat breshit, zeyanachamenu, and it's a single syllable word that just means this. But sometimes the trup calls attention to why we're focusing on this particular this, pun intended. And sometimes mm-hmm. it just means this. Uh, Joanna. So I'm trying. I'm thinking in my mind, like, is there a possible difference between the two, between lama and lama? And so, like, if you think about the sentence, like, I'm leaving for work now, and if you ask the question why, the answer is so that I get there on time. But if you ask the question, like, to what end or for what purpose, so that I can make some money and support myself, right? So they, there can be a nuance. And like, in a way, those two phrases could be getting at two different things just by very virtue of the question is not exactly the same from the very first word. Hmm. Hmm. That is different words because they're different different types of why questions. Yeah. What what What's the explanation versus what's the... What's the what's 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 the in, um, intended outcome? Yeah, interesting. Uh, I was looking at Uncle's. Uncle's translates exactly the same. Uh, he adds a he has a um, a, a vav in between. He has lima and then he puts a uh, ulama and and as if he's putting an and between the two questions. But the words themselves are the same in Aramaic. Um, okay, let's go to verse twenty three. Our penultimate verse of the parsha. Notice, by the way, that this is one of the places where our text and its divisions disagree with the uh, the Christian division of chapters. So we are about to read the last verse of chapter five of the book of Exodus, which is a Christian destination. And then we read the first verse of chapter six before we end Parshat Shmot. Um, so the rabbis, uh, uh, we could talk about that, why the rabbis, um, well, Again, you can either ask it why the rabbis wanted to include the, the following verse in this chapter, not the next chapter. And we can try to imagine why the Christian designation wanted to uh, put a full break beforehand. But let's read it. Uh, Matt, are you in a place where you can read verse 23? Uh, uh, maybe. Hold, hold on a second. Sorry. Uh, call, no, I'll pass. Okay. Uh, Renee, do you want to read verse 23? Okay. Uh, okay, see if you can render that into good English. The time that I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, mm-hmm. he harmed. Uh, these this people, but you didn't rescue that your people. Good. That v'hatzel lo hitzalta is a as a common biblical phrase where it's it's kind of like a construct form to to 
to intensify. And then the, the, the no in between, the low, tells you it's a negative. So that thou hast verily not saved, right? You saved, no, you did not save. Or saving, maybe it's like saving, but no, you did not save. Lahatzil to rescue, like uh, uh, in modern Hebrew, a matzil is a lifeguard, okay? Um, I like your hera harmed, right? It's from the same root of we've been seeing. We saw that root, by the way, in verse in the previous verse, when where Moshe says, Lama Hareyota, why have you done rot to this people? And if you look back in verse 19, we saw it where the uh, supervisors by Yerushut Shotre Bene Israel Otam Bera. They saw them harmed, suffering, struggling. Okay. Simple root, Ra, but we've now seen it in several different forms. Rashi is going to ask um, or, or comment on the uh, grammatical form of Hera. What form is it in? Who is the subject? The way you translated it, Renee, or someone else who's listening, who Moshe is speaking, who do you do we think Moshe thinks is the subject of the verb Hera? Pharaoh is the Pharaoh. one that did the harm. Okay, so uh, let's hold that out there as a possibility. Are there any other ways that we could read that verse determining who the subject of Hera is? Um, particularly because Hera is not in a form that's easily identifiable. Rick? Can't hear you, Rick. I was going to point out we have Lam Hazeg and this people that's unclaimed by anybody. And then at the end, Moses changes it to your people. Again, uh-huh. not, not saying my people or our people, but he says your people there. So I, I just wanted to point that out. Um, I don't know about the Hera. I don't know what form that is. It looks really weird. Okay, this people versus your people, Joanna. I'd love to hear what Targum Yonatan has says about the Lamas and anything else that you're thinking. First, on this, how different is the form Hera from the form Hatzel, right? Because Hatzel is clearly referring to God, so couldn't Hera also refer to God? Yeah, I mean, so Hera is a weird word the way Rick said it. Hatzel, I forgot the, the actual formal grammatical name for that construct is not a it's not a verb on its own it's like a helping verb for a longer phrase right it's i suppose you could read it as a command like the uh, hatsel like like the command of lahatsil of imperative but it's really just part one of the phrase hatsel hitzalta, and hitzalta is the actual verb. And the vowels hatsel are actually inverse from hey ra. So the hey ra sounds more like, even though it's it seems like a contracted verb, more like a um a full verb because we're aware of verbs that begin with an a or an e vowel, but with beginning with an a vowel, they're either in that construct form or there's some version of imperative. So but let's say we could make it happen. Then how would you translate hey, Rala on with God as a subject? Why does this have to be so prolonged? Like, wh- why, are, why, you know, why, why are we on this plan where, you know, it's still, we've, A, we've been here for so long and we're still going to suffer a whole lot more before the redemption happens. Like, if it's time to redeem us, redeem us, take us out tomorrow. Why do we have to keep suffering? Yeah, I think if if Moshe were were 
speaking to God with the Hera, it would be something closer to Hareyota like we had in the previous sentence. Like you are the ones, um, you are the one who's been evil to this nation. The Hera smacks of a third person, not a second person. And Moshe is speaking to God here. Um, if we pull back, there is this sense that going back to the way Larry read it before, ever since I came to Pharaoh, right? That Me'az is kind of an ever since. Ever since you put me in a position to come to Pharaoh to speak in your name, this nation has suffered, whatever the subject of Hera is. We'll get to that in the Rashi. And going back to you, God, in an accusatory way, you've not done the very thing you said I was going to help you do when you spoke to me in the bush, right? So this is, uh, and I'm I'm setting up Rashi a little bit. This is direct affrontery from Moshe to God, right? You've turned me into an evildoer. You've made your people suffer worse rather than rather than not, and you have not saved them, right? And if you go, you know, remember the, those four verbs: the gaalti, the lakachti, the hotseiti, the hitzalti. Right? That I'm gonna I'm gonna save them. I heard you, God. Hatzel lo hitzalta. As of now, you're 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 o for five. Any of those redeeming words? Uh, what does Larry say? Looking at the chat. And Everett Fox uses the rescue. You were talking about a command. He says, and rescued, you have not rescued. Does that double thing. Right. That, that's the, like the, surely you have not rescued, right? Um, let me put up, pull up that Ibn Ezra as we can look at it together. It's on the Hira, Larry. Hold on. Okay. I had not seen that Rashi, so that Ibn Ezra. So here it is. Um, I'll actually open it up. So this is what Ezra umilat heira la'am hazeh pa'al yotzei kamo heru me'avotam. So he's reading heira actually very differently grammatically than than Rashi does. It's a um, it's a transitive verb. It's 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 not it's not just describing their being in an evil place, but something is happening, and it's similar to. They did worse than their fathers. It's actually a cousin to what Rashi is going to say. So let's use that as a jump to what Rashi is going to say. Uh, Renee, would you read uh, Hera? Hera, Lashon, Lashon, he feel who? Hear Ba Ra'a Alehem. The Targamu of Ish. Av Esh. Oh, just says Av Esh again. Okay, so harmed is in the uh, he feel. And what does he feel? And he feel means it's uh, increased the evil upon him, upon them. But what does he? What is? What is the? What does the word he feel mean? What form of that? In, uh, uh, like in a that? command. Uh, not a command, but a causative to cause. Someone else to do something, right? So right. he says, Heira is kind of a shortened version of a he feel. You might have expected it to be Heira or Hiria, Haria, but it means to make someone else experience something. So to make someone else experience Ra, Hirba Ra'a Alehem. So now so he increased the evil on them. Who increased? And uh, God? Pharaoh. I think you were right the first time when you said it that that according to Rashi, the Hera La'am Hazeh is instead of it uh, yeah. lessening, Pharaoh put more Ra'a Ale on them. 
And to Targmod, just as Uncleus translates it as Avish or Avish. If you look at the Uncleus on the side, he turns it into this word Avish from the root Bet Aleph Shin or Bet Aleph Yud Shin. We've seen that verse uh, before because Rashi and Uncleus uh, handled it that way on the um, Berale more. I want to share with you something else on that. So hold on one second. So Uncleus on Ba'esh. Uh, well, actually, let's first look at the the Hebrew one. So in Ba'ash, that's the Hebrew root from which you get the hefeel, hevish. That's the exact word the Rosh is saying to cause decay, to make smell badly, to um, to go downhill. Right. So in the Hebrew, lehavish means to cause someone or something to be bad to be decayed, to be less than good and fresh. In the Aramaic, which is the uh, one that Uncleus is using, it's similar but not exactly the same thing. To be bad, to be displeasing, to be ill, to go sick. And in the Af'el, that's the AF here, which is the Aramaic form of Hephiel, to make bad, to do evil, to harm one. In some ways, it makes sense that um, Uncleus says av ash to make to do evil, which is different a little bit than the Hebrew hiv ish, which means to be make smelly, to make odious. Where do we know that phrase from? Look, remember this scene. I think we referenced this recently. This is from the yeah, demon story in Shechem. Verse when twenty-one. Yeah, Verse and then the previous voice that said it. Yivash tem. Correct, correct. And in our. Um, when we look back in the in, uh, in Parshat Vayishlach, Vayishlach uh, or Vayishlach, I think it's Vayishlach, um, to J- Jacob's response to Shimon and Levi after they wreaked havoc on the Shechemites. We looked at this verse last week or two weeks ago. We'll look at it again. Jacob said to Shimon and Levi, you've done bad things to me. There, it doesn't mean lahara. It doesn't mean to do evil to me. It's to make me smelly. It's to make me look bad, to ruin my reputation. These are very nuanced differences. And he- oh, we lost you. You froze. We, we lost you again. Rather than we just- We lost you. We lost you. Am I back? You're back now. Yes. You're back. You we need lost to back about up whatever seconds. you said before we didn't hear. Okay. Need to back up so a few sentences. It's a subtle difference. It's why Rashi quotes Uncleus in the Aramaic saying Avesh, which means to do to, to do evil, rather than just turn the Hera into a Hebrew he feel, Lehavish, which really means to ruin a reputation, to make someone look or smell or be bad in someone else's eyes. So they're cousins <laughs> to one another's ideas, but they're not the same idea. Um that's Rashi on Heira. Everett Fox has a really interesting comment. Not not the what actually he wrote, but a comment on it saying that that uh, on the people that Moshe's brilliant use of psychology in dealing with God is similar to what he's going to do again later on in chapter 32, where he talks again about the anger flaring against the people uh... with an evil intent. Got it. Okay. 
Um, we'll we'll see how that 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 comes up when we get there. Uh, Steve, Stevie, good point. Thank you for the correction. The 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 languages of redemption. I mean, Torah, but you're right. The languages of redemption are coming up in chapter six. I had forgotten that. Uh, someone can check while we're going forward if there's any ver- uh, language. <laughs> Excuse me. Any language of um of um lahatzil at the burning bush? If that verb comes up, I don't remember. It definitely comes up in the languages of redemption coming up in the beginning of Parshat Va'era. With that in mind, though, let's go to the last uh, verse of this Parsha. And I think we'll have a good chance of finishing it without even rushing. So let's see whom we've not. Oh, Larry, yeah. Before we chant it, I do have a comment question about this issue of <clears throat> the verses and um, the the our Hebrew interpretation versus the Christian interpretation. So first of all, we use the Christian division of chapters and verses. We accept that, right? And in the sense as, that we don't we don't ignore it in the printing of our Chumashim, right? We're not except, protesting. Except they just raised two exceptions. One is uh, one is author who doesn't refer to the parshiot at all. Sometimes he will include a verse with a previous chapter. So if you look on page 234 of Altar, if anybody has it, you'll see that he has verse 6-1 at the top of the page, following immediately chapter 5. And then starting with verse 2, he has the big print chapter 6. So he's making his statement about where it belongs. Secondly, Rick will remind me where this happened because we came up across it recently. There's sometimes discrepancies in actually the how the the verses are demarked and and notate whether they're what number they are and rick and i did a haftarah plethora recently and i can't can't find a camera which one it was where it starts on verse two but some people say it's starting at verse one because the christians divided verse verse one to be in this chapter whereas we think that verse one belongs in the previous chapter rick may remember which haftarah which which prophet it was we had it because we had a a dis, a dis animated discussion about it. And I had a Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur in the Machser? Maybe it was Rosh Hashanah. And yeah. even in the Luach, which I'm not looking at right now, it says that in some um, in some Chumashim, this is marked chapter. This is marked verses one through twenty-two, as opposed to two through twenty-three, or something like that. So sometimes there is a discrepancy. Correct. It's very rare, just like there's sometimes there are crees and kativs and discrepancies on actually what word ought to be in a particular verse. So, yes, there are um, sometimes when we point out those discrepancies and oddities, it's actually helpful to focus on the inverse of that, how incredible it is that this text came into fruition and, and, and was able to be perpetuated over thousands of years through scribes, right? It's, it's, it's amazing that we have it all together. I find the Talmud, even though the Talmud is later, even more amazing. The fact that the Talmud exists is one of the most amazing things in intellectual and literary history. And, and even in all the, all the studies that people have done to try to weave together different parts of it that seem broken, it, it, it's incredible that that editing job was able to take place. And so is the book of Isaiah, and so is the book of Exodus. Um, thank you, um, uh Thank you, Joanna, for doing that gumshoe work. Yes, the, uh, the verb lahatzil does appear, the burning bush. If you look at 3.8, va'ered lahatzilo miyad mitzrayim. I, God, am going to go de- descend to rescue it, the nation, from the hands of Egypt. 
and to uh, lift up that nation from this land and bring the land of Israel. So when when God says to when Moshe says to God, He's not taunting God with the languages of redemption that are coming up from which we get the four cups of wine, but rather um, he, there is a callback specifically to the root lahatzil from before. Okay, let's go verse six. Uh, sorry, chapter six, verse one, last chapter of Parshat Shmot. Uh, Leonard, do you want to read chapter six, verse one? Okay. Um Adonai El Moshe Asher Faro Good. And before Leonard translates, since this is a verse with pretty easy vocabulary and pretty easy sentence structure, right? You have no hard individual words. There's no words like hera where it's unclear who is the subject. I want you to, all of you, to ask yourself that classic question, are there any words missing or extraneous? Is there anything about the way that the sentence is constructed that can be the source of Midrashic material? And that'll help us understand where Rashi is going to go when we get there. Translate. Okay. Um, and God said to Moses, now you will see uh, what I will do to Pharaoh because with a strong hand, he will send them. He will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will expel them from his land. Okay. Right. Perfect translation, right? There's, there's, it, it's uh, all, all the phrases make internal sense. Uh, God gets the last word, by the way, in the Parsha. That might be something to explain why the, uh, why the uh, uh, Parsha does, ends there and not ending on a chastisement, right? That's a, you know, I, I don't know if that is the answer, but that's a common thing in biblical material. We don't like ending things on chastisements. Haftarot, that would end on a chastisement of God to us. We pull back and add in another verse. Echa, we don't end Echa with the last verse of Echa, but we go back to Hashivenu Ashuva, so it ends with something more um, more calming. So maybe it was significant for the rabbis not to end on Moses doing this to God, right? Uh, but rather God. I don't know, re-announcing re, re that God is in charge, just a possibility. Uh, questions on the verse. What do you think is 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 a, is a worthy wormhole that might uh, to explore? Anyone? Joanna? Um, a couple of questions. So my first question is, what is the difference between saying asher e'eselefaro? I would think it would be a little more natural to say ma e'eselefaro. Okay. Um. And then the God is speaking and the use of the third person verbs. Why Yishalchem and not Ashalchem? Ah, good. So uh so a share could have been ma. Um the, uh, the way you may want to render in English is kind of a that which, right? To make sense of the that which I will do as opposed to a what. I'd be interesting to see. I don't have my Everett Fox in front of me. I'd be interested to hear Everett Fox's translation of that phrase, also Arya Kaplan. Um, and you and your question makes me realize that we may not have unanimity as to who the subject of Yishal Chaim and Yergarshem is. Your question is, is suggesting that God is the subject of Yishal Chaim and Yigarshem, correct? Because 
I mean, I would think the only other possibility is um, Moshe, but if it's Moshe, then he should, then it would be in the second person, not the third person. So is there another possibility? God, Moshe, or? Pharaoh himself, Pharaoh will come to realize. Right. So if, if, so if the Yud representing third person singular is a he, and the only he cannot be God who's speaking, nor Moshe to whom God is speaking, but Pharaoh, then it makes sense grammatically for with a strong hand, he will send him out. And with a strong hand, he will push them out of land. And then a question on that would be, well, then what's the strong hand doing? Because the strong hand seems to be God. That's where Rashi is going to go. So you've, you've uncovered one of the tunnels that Rashi is going to try to fill in. Um, um, once we yeah. identify who, yeah. The other thing I want to say about that read, though, is like, at least in our tradition, biyad um, chazaka is a term that will come to be very strongly associated with God. So it's sort of funny and yeah. it reminds me and sort I of think- a, it reminds me um of that one instance um, you know, a land flowing with milk and honey is always Israel, except in one point it's a reference back to Egypt, you know. So right. it's sort of funny, like these phrases that have such strong associations, you know, maybe there is a possibility that, you know, there's the exception that proves the rule. Yeah. So Rashi is focused and irritated by the very same things you're picking up and his answers will or will not satisfy you. But Baruch Shekivan, because Rashi is also wondering about that. Who is the subject of Yigar Shem Yishalchem? And if so, to whom or to what does Biyad Hazaka uh, relate? Good. Any other questions? Larry, Diane? Um, yeah. Um, this is another case where God is talking about Chem which seems to exclude Moshe, them, right? Not not your, not my people or all of you, but them. Good. The, the Yishal Chaim is a third, plurs, third person plural ending, excluding Moshe to whom God is speaking. So why is that? Why is Moshe not one of the ones that God is saying is going to be sent out and expelled? Good. Other questions, Larry? Yeah, I yeah. want to talk about translation. I want to only talk about the second half of the of the verse <clears throat> after the Etnachta. And um, so first of all, the confusion between who's being referred to with Viyad Chazaka and who's being referred to with the Yishal Chem and the Yigar Shem. Um, I'm sure you're going to go into that, some, in, into that some more. But the translations are driving me crazy. So to me, the Yishal Chem is... Um, I think it's referring to Pharaoh, but in any case, he will send out. It's not he will let them go, as the JPS has, and even as, I'll read it in a second, uh, Ari Kaplan has, but it's more like what Alter has. Um, and, sorry, he will send them off. And I think that's correct. He's sending them, not letting them go. And I think there's a big difference between that. Um, and then the Yigar Shem, I think, the the two the two um, subclauses in there is not only will he send them off, he will actually expel them. In other words, there's a difference between the two. And what's what's the difference or what's going on here? What's going on here is the biyad chazaka, and the biyad chazaka is suggesting that he will be forced to, which is actually the language I think that Arya Kaplan uses. 
he will be forced to because of what God is oh. going what God is going to do. So that leads me to question: Why the form of the verb Yishalchem, which means he will send them off, and not some form that says he will be made to send them off? Which I guess yeah. I don't know if that's he feel. Would it be he feel? Yeah, unless the biyad chazaka is doing the work of he feelizing the verb. Well, exactly. So that's just happened, I think. Good. So that's close to one of Rashi's answers um, to one of the questions. Thank you, Joanna, for reminding me that Everett Fox is now in Safaria. It's just amazing that we live in an era of Safaria. So I'll show you Everett Fox's translation. Uh, Everett Fox always renders Yudhevafe as YHYHYHWH. God, I'm just going to say, God said to Moshe, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them free. It kind of reads that ever Fox is reading it, that the he is Pharaoh and the strong hand is ambiguous. Is it Pharaoh's strong hand or my strong hand? Not sure. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. It seems to be Pharaonic, right? That that it's that both the sending, the driving and the strong handedness is Pharaoh's. Rashi's going to say something a little, bit, a little different on that. Uh, Carol's hand was up, but you're still there. It's down now. We did, you're you're cool, Carol. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say something about why both both the phrases. So you are addressing that. Okay. And uh, before I call on Renee, Larry, did you share with us Arya Kaplan's translation of that verse? No, I'll, I'll read you Kaplan, and I'll read you Alter if you don't mind. So Kaplan says, "God said to Moses, now you will begin to see what I will do to Pharaoh. He will be forced to let them go. Not only that." but he will be forced to drive them out of his land. Yeah. So Aryeh Kaplan is attaching the Biyad uh, saying it's God's Yad is going to put Pharaoh in a position where he's going to have to be the subject of these verbs. That's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting resolution to the problem. And Alter does something similar, but a little weaker. He says, now you will see what I shall do to Pharaoh for through a strong hand, Good. he will send them off. Yeah. And through a strong hand, he will drive them from his land. Good. So both Arya Kaplan and uh, Alter are using the Yad Chazakat refer to God, but then having an impact on what Pharaoh, Pharaoh is going to do. Rashi splits the difference as we'll get there. But before we get there, after we hear from Renee, none of you have asked the first question that Rashi is going to address in the verse, which is fine, but it means that when we read Rashi, I'm going to have to ask you the question, what is Rashi's question on the verse to which he's giving an answer? Renee? I was just curious why he was asking both questions. If he's going to send, will he send them out and will he drive them from his land? They kind of seemed unnecessary to ask both of those things that he could have combined it into, into one thing. Good. That's another question on the verse. There's a redundancy even on Yishachem Bigarshem. What does it mean to dispatch and to expel? Do we need do we need both verbs? Is it just rhetorical flourish to end a parsha? Which, when it was written, did it know it was ending a parsha? Right. That's a that's a that's a meta question on the text. Um, and there's something nice. I, I, I always like laning this verse. There, there's something like ends on a on a, a, a cliffhanger, right? As a laner, you kind of need both of them. But as a uh, as you're finishing the parsha, but you actually need them, them both of them for content. Okay. Um, now let's go to the Rashi. Um, who is reading this verse? Was it Renee? 
No, Leonard, sorry. Leonard, uh, can you read the first Rashi? Okay. Okay, now before we even start reading, remember that the Dibure Hamadchil, the words that begin the Rashi's commentaries, I would say in the category of Lav Dafka, we don't know for certain that, that the comments that we're reading, which are Rashi's, are related specifically to the words that are quoted. That's an afterthought. But from way back when, the idea is that the following comment of Rashi is focusing on these two words, the atatireh, which means there was something about the atatireh. Now you will see that Rashi had an issue with. Okay, go ahead. Your heart al midotai lo avraham Okay, translate so far. What does laharher mean? Do you know? Well, it means to meditate, but the translations seem to give it to criticize. Right, it means both. Here, mutarim from the uh, from the Zemran Shabbat, lihitaneg betahanugim barburim uslabadagim. One of the phrases here, hurim mutarim. You're allowed to think and meditate and ponder stuff on Shabbat, you're allowed even to ponder things that are prohibited. You just can't do them, right? Um, so leharher means to think about. It also means to levy critique. To be meharher is a cousin to le'ar'er. So you have this uh, two roots that are doublings of two-letter roots. Le'ar'er, ayin reish, ayin reish, and leharher, hey reish, hey reish, can mean to levy a critique, to, to throw uh, a critique of someone. So God is saying to Moshe, according to Rashi, here harta amidotai, meaning what? You have uh, criticized my methods. You're you you're, you Moshe are 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 uh, are finger wagging me. You're critiquing me, Loka Avraham. Not like Abraham. That's not what Abraham did. That I said to him. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> All right. Uh, because uh, with Isaac, he will be called to you seed. Okay. So we're going to have to like hold these thoughts until they all come together. So the first thing that, and if you share, look at the screen, first thing God, Rashi says is, Moshe, careful now. You're critiquing me. And that's not what the leaders of my life do. And after all, Avraham didn't do it. And Avraham had reason to do it. Why did Avraham have reason to do it? Look back in chapter 21, verse 12, where I promised to Avraham, verse 12, by Yom Elohim al-Avraham, God said, Avraham, al ye nacha, don't be so upset, al hanar al on this whole situation with uh, uh, Ishmael, kol asher tomar elecha, Anything that Sarah wants to do about this boy, just listen to her. We can have another conversation about whether or not that was an ethical thing. After all, it's through Yitzchak. It is through Yitzchak that, that your name will have, uh, your offspring will continue. So I made a promise to Abraham when Isaac was a boy that he would have offspring that would continue your name. Okay, and yet keep reading. The acharkach, the acharkach amarti lo, ha'alehu la'ola 
And then just a few verses after that. That was chapter 21. This is verse 22. All of a sudden, I, God, the same God that promised Abraham that through Isaac there would be offspring, I have the audacity to say to him in verse 2, in the binding of Isaac, take your love, the one that, son that you love, go to the land of Moriah, sacrifice him. If anybody had the right to critique me, it was Avraham, because I was directly violating the promise I had made to him. Keep reading, Velo. Velo, here, here, Acharai. You have Acharai, I have Achar Midotai. Different versions of Rashi, okay? But in either way, what does it mean? Uh, and he didn't criticize me. He, w- he was quiet, right? This is one of the ways in which Avraham is either praised or critiqued, depending on where you're standing, right? Because when you do an internal uh, read of Parshad Vayera, and you contrast Avraham's quietude and acquiescence at the Akedah against his being very much meharher al-midot Kadosh Baruch Hu, when in Parshad Vayera does Abraham actually critique God's midot? What scene? Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. So Rashi's choosing the one where Avraham is quiet with acquiescence like Aaron after Nadav and Avihu are, are, are taken from him. And Rashi is reading this as God reading it as a praise of Avraham and therefore an implicit critique of Moshe. Avraham had something to complain about and didn't complain. Uh, Rick, can you hold the thought until Leonard finishes the Rashi? I just wanted to say Garesh was also there. You brought it up. <laughs> oh, Garesh Tamazot, right. Uh, yeah, right. Correct. So Abraham Garesh is in here. Pharaoh is Gareshing here. So good. Uh, there should have been a Garesh on that on that word, but I'm bummed. Okay. Uh, uh, and now we're getting to the part of the comment where we can try to figure out what Rashi had as a problem in the verse. Because so far, nothing we've described suggested there was a problem in the verse that Rashi is responding to. Lefichach. <clears throat> Translate. Therefore, now you will see. Let me let me say the exact same words slightly differently in a way that Rashi would appreciate. Therefore, now you will see. Keep going. Okay, therefore, now you will see. <laughs> good, good, well done. Um, that uh, which is done to Pharaoh, you will see. And that which is done to the kings of the seven nations, that I will bring them to the land. Okay, so what's Rashi saying? And then backstep. What's his problem with the verse, or what's his curiosity in the verse, Leonard or anyone? Well, he's saying that uh, I'm going to let you see what's going to happen to Pharaoh, but for some reason, I'm not going to let you to see what's going to happen to the seven Canaanite kings. And what's our association with Moshe and the Canaanite kings? Or what's well, our association? Moses doesn't go into the land. He doesn't he go into the land. He's not going to see the land of Israel. Right. And what's our what's the the, the classic? in the text reason for why he doesn't get to uh, see the redemption, the full redemption of the Israelites in the land of Israel, because of what? He struck the rock. Struck the rock. Rashi is quoting a Brita in Masechet um, Sanhedrin uh, saying, there was an earlier reason that God was already beginning to wonder, I'm not sure this guy 
gets the full reward because striking the rock is explicit, but here he didn't trust me. And the, and the, the, the section in Sanhedrin is longer and compares not only what Abraham didn't do, but what Isaac and Jacob didn't do. Um, you know, not questioning God's ways. Moshe is tisk tisking uh, God. And it's almost as if the Midrash is imagining God's already wondering, you know, he'll do the job of getting the Israelites out, but he's not going to see the destruction of the, of the Kings whose destruction is going to allow the Israelites to, uh, to dwell there. Now pull back. What's Rashi reacting to in the verse? What's, what's the engine for this comment? What word? Ata. Ata, right? The, the now was bugging Rashi because the verse could have been Vayomer, uh, Adonai El Moshe, God's Moshe, Tire Asher Selafaro. You'll see what I do to Pharaoh because I'm going to drive him out with a strong hand. The Ata suggests a now. Sometimes now means now, and sometimes now means now and not any other time. Now you're going to see my power. But I'm warning you, Moshe, you keep going like this. You're not going to see the full extent of my power. When I complete the redemptive process and bring them into the land of Israel, you'll be dead and six feet under on Harnavo. So it's an interesting Midrashic opening. And this, this is kind of a, this happens in Midrashic thinking that, that things that we know in the narrative had precursors, that they were born earlier and they only fully fleshed themselves out in the narrative later, but they were already kind of um, seeds that had begun to flower. That's the way the human mind works, right? We make decisions and sometimes we're aware that the kernel of that decision happened earlier, but it wasn't until later on that it begins to flourish and become a plant. That's what the, the Midrash is playing with here. Okay, we have six minutes left. Let's see if we can, again, without rushing through the last two Rashis, they're a little bit simpler than the ones that we just read, but now we get to Rashi's resolution on the question that Joanna and others were talking about. Who is the Yad Chazaka? Who's doing the sending out? Leonard, take us home. This is basically Rashi as, as Arye Kaplan or Alter. Okay, how does he handle it? All right, so with a strong hand, uh, I will send them out or I'll let them go. Because of my strong hand, um, oh, uh, which will be strong upon him, uh, he will send them. Good. Yad Chazaka is me. Rashi makes it clear, me meaning God. Because of my strong hand, Pharaoh's going to be, in a, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse, right? He's going to be in a position where he will have to send him out. So that's how Rashi handles the first one. Because of my strong hand, he, Pharaoh, he will send him out. And on the next one, Leonard, do you know what the phrase al korach means when it's declined? Al korchi, al korcho, al korcham? Against the will. Against the will. I forgot why it means that, but it means against the will. So al korcham shel Yisrael, meaning against Israel's will, yigar shem. 
they shall be driven out or or he will drive them out so pharaoh's the, the subject yeah okay. it's not yigursham that they will be but um he will drive them out Okay, see what you can do with that? Okay. And uh, so against the will of Israel, uh, he will drive them out. And there will not be sufficient time to prepare provisions. One of the origin stories of what what food stuff? Matzah. Right. And so, therefore, he says, Scripture says, and uh, the Egyptians were strengthened on the people. Good. Look at the screen. So Rashi brings us to Exodus moment itself, right, which it's going to take us a while to get to. We haven't gotten a single plague yet. And and the moment of Exodus, there's really, it's almost like they're in uh, chapter 39 of Breshit, they're really, it's hard to synthesize all of the, the, um, the sub, the sub texts of who's doing the selling of Joseph, the Ishmaelites, the Midianites, the Soharim. It's very hard to suss out on the exact moment of, of Exodus. Were they rushing or were they stalling? Were they eager to go or were they hesitant to go? Was the matzah the bread of affliction they took with them? Or was the matzah the bread that they didn't have time to let rise? And who's responsible for that? And as we get to that chapter, which will be a long time from now, we'll see that there are substrata of those chapters that make it hard to figure out one line of narrative. But Rashi is focusing on the actual moment, right? So if you go back to uh, verse 31, Pharaoh Finally, summoned Moses Aaron after the tenth plague. Laila at nighttime. Get out of here, Gamatem, Israel. Not just you, but all of the people of Israel. Go serve God as you said you would. And I'm not holding anything back. Pharaoh says, your, both your your sheep and your cattle. take with you. as you as you requested. get out of here. Even give me a bracha on the way out. Egypt was, how does it translate? Urge the people on. That's a weak translation, if you ask me. Egypt was, was, was strong on the nation. In the exact moment of Exodus, Egypt was using a strong hand, according to Rashi, to push them out. To hurry to send them, because they said if we don't actually take on the role of God and send them out of here, we're going to die. Let's just see what um, whatever Fox's translation of that verse is. That would be interesting. Is it right here? Is that how I find it? You want me to read it to you? I, I think you passed it. It's in the translation. You want me to read it? 6-1 uh, or 6-2? Uh, 6 no, no, uh, 1233. It's there? Oh, there it is. Yeah, okay. Um, Egypt pressed the people strongly, that's the Vatechazak, to send them out quickly from the land, for they said, we are all dead. What does the footnote say? Uh, contrasting with Pharaoh's strong-willed heart of 1027. Okay, so Everett Fox says that the Vatechazak Mitzrayim here, the Chazak was related to Vayechazek Lev Paro, 
that his heart was, was strengthened. Rashi connects it to our verse, Kibiyada So, whose Yada Chazaka does Rashi think is being referenced in the second half of the verse? The Egyptians? Pharaohs. Right. Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Rashi splits the difference. Joanna and Ari Kaplan and, and Larry and, uh, and um, what's his name? Uh, NorCal, Alter, uh, think that both of them are gods and that means that God is forcing uh, Pharaoh's hand. Rashi reads it differently. With my strong hand, he will be forced to send them out. And then in the moment of, in the moment of uh, Exodus itself, the Egyptians are going to have to uh, brandish their strong hand, and they're going to ha- they're going to be so ready to be rid of the Israelites that their Yad Hazaka is going to be represented and manifest. Really interesting uh, and artful translation. Uh, let's see what the chat is, and then we'll close. Let's, uh, very good, right? So we we've got both verbs in both places. Tam Parshat Shmot or Tama Parshat Shmot. We have finished Parshat Shmot with all the Rashi's. Who has a notation of when we started this? It's a while ago, right? It was pre-pandemic, so it's like two and a half years. It was pre-pandemic because it was Norm started with us at the at the start of Exodus, and that was probably November of. 2019. Yeah, I think I have a memory that our seum for the book of Genesis was like November, December 2019. So we probably started this around then, which means that Parsha Shema, which is a long Parsha, has taken us about a year longer than usual. Usually we do a Parsha in about 18 to 20 months, has taken us two and a half years. Uh, and we'll see how long the era takes us. Gashar uh, Koach to all of you for studying with such. Um, next week, Leonard, you're teaching on Zoom. Yes. Two weeks from today, in person, Pilch Hall, come unless you're terrified on a COVID level and there's no judgment, but please make that be the only reason why you will not come. Um, I'll send out an email beforehand to remind you, come with some snacks and treats, maybe even a little l'chaim, and come with, if you'd like, I don't know, a 30 to 60 second Dvar Torah on something that we uh, studied in Parshat Shmot. Uh, it's been a while since we had a scene we should celebrate, and then we will start Parshat Va'era. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.